0: So you want to be a Dungeon Master. That's great. We're here to help. I'm Taylor.
1: I'm Justin. And this week, we're going to be covering the logistics of getting started as a Dungeon Master. How does someone start? If you've got your group of players, you know you're going to DM. What's next? Let's get into the tips and tricks. But first. But first. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about session zero. Taylor, what is session zero?
0: So session zero is like the session before the campaign even actually starts because there is a lot to go over for a successful long run, long term campaign. I feel like a good session zero makes sure that all the characters are involved at, like all of the players are involved at the story level as well. Basically, that is how you figure out how all of everybody's stories are intermixed, who everybody is, what classes everybody is, all of that stuff gets all hashed out in session 0 and then that way session 1 starts and that's the official start of the campaign and that's when you guys meet however you're going to meet and start going on adventures.
1: Yeah, exactly. Session 0 is going to cover not only your party composition and what characters you're going to be playing and stuff like that. But also above board, like here are some expectations for the game set forth by the dungeon master saying like, Hey, the tone of this game is very funny. We're here to have a good time by all means. Dramatic scenes are welcome, but don't be surprised if it's all a bucket of yucks, you know what I mean? Or vice versa. Yeah. We're here to have a dramatic, serious Regency romance style game get ready for it. <laughs> or um also like a uh, really common use of session 0 is also it can sound like some to some people maybe like unnecessary because you're used to playing with like this really close group of friends and like surely none of us will offend each other or blah 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 but like session 0 can be right <laughs> yeah session no. 0 can be really good for going over boundaries. Like both soft boundaries and hard boundaries. Like I've had it come up in games where players are like, Hey, I don't want to hear you go on like a 10 minute monologue describing a scene talking about kids getting killed. And it's like, honestly, fair. If that's, if that's,
0: I don't want to talk about it for 10 minutes. Let's be honest to each their own,
1: but (laughs) okay, fair enough. But like, um, Or, like, things like I've made it a point in my campaigns where I let people know right at session zero if I'm the dungeon master, hey, if you want an adorable pet companion, here's the deal. If that pet starts being really helpful in combat to a level where, like, the bad guys are going to start getting pissed off at that little cute animal, they will attack it. But if it's just a cute, fun roleplay thing where you just have a pet frog and it is just a cute thing that you have that's fine. I'm, I'll never go out of my way to attack that frog because why would I? So it all depends. And I make that expectation yeah. known during session zero.
0: Yeah. I, um, I, the only time I've ever really experienced a section, a uh, session zero is like as a player, because my group of people that I ran the game for, we've known each other for years and more years. Like, but that's kind of the exception, not the rule. Like, definitely if you're a new DM with new players, you should definitely have a moment to um, like, it doesn't have to be a whole session. I don't think, because I mean, some of it is, you know, some of it you can do on the fly, like the character introductions and stuff like that. You can do pretty much on the fly. Um, but definitely knowing the boundaries for, other people like just to have them out in the air so that, you know, it really avoids a lot of miscommunication down the line
1: 100%. Way. And it, it it's exactly that by setting expectations whether no matter what it is, whether it is something as intense as boundaries right. or whether it's something like hey gang, we're going to be playing a story in this setting and in this setting uh I don't give a shit about orc and elf relations. There doesn't need to be like a deep lore thing in my game in this setting. So when you're making your character, that player already knows. I don't have to go into a deep backstory about how the orcs and the elves have been warring for generations and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I already set that expectation. That's not a huge thing that I'm going to be paying attention to in this game. So heads up, but it can be used for, Session zero can be used for (laughs) team building. It can help with scheduling talking about, Hey, if one player can't make it, are we still running that game or are we moving it on? Huge. Uh, I already talked about table expectations, everything from tone to where, where are you going to allow retconning? How are you handling meta gaming? Um, different kinds of things like that. Uh, you can framework the campaign a little bit. You can talk about house rules. Hey, in my game, taking a healing potion is a bonus action for yeah. example all different kinds mm. of stuff to go over as a group which is what makes session zero unique session zero isn't necessarily like the one-on-one conversations you're having with a player about character creation it's more like we're all sitting down talking together about the, the coming yeah. game and setting those expectations i think it's super super helpful
0: um yeah, cuz then you don't get down the line and you're like, "Well, I thought No, no, no. We talked about this already." Like, and you can kind of just squash it then and there.
1: Yeah. And there's like all different um, kinds of templates you can literally find online if you just bing it. Yeah, and there's so many different like bing questionnaires it. and different like checklists that you can go over if it's your Fresca. It crack open a cold Fresca. America's number one grapefruit beverage. <gasps> Head over to justingalliani.squarespace.com. <laughs> give a campaign contribution. Death saves for monsters. Oh, the list goes on. Um, oh, my God. But let's She's move on. Still, Taylor, enough about ran. my campaign for president for 2024. Let's yeah. move on to the meat of the episode, <laughs> starting as a okay. DM. Now, <laughs> this episode, we are not specifically not going to be covering the specifics of, like, finding a group. Uh, yeah. We're not going to go over a ton of scheduling stuff, the ins and outs of scheduling. <laughs> and we're also not in this particular well, episode. It's going to be
0: fun, guys. It's going to be a riveting conversation. <laughs> we'll find I a way.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm sure we'll find a way to make it fun. Uh, and we're also in this episode, we're not going over technical stuff such as an yeah. online website where everybody meets. We're not going to be going over like Discord or microphones or uh, Roll20 or any of those kind of things. This is more big picture behind the screen. You're starting as a DM. You have your group. You know you're going to be playing. What's next?
0: Right. So I think the first question you've got to answer right off the bat is whether you're going to do a one shot or a campaign. Because the planning and like uh, preparation and stuff for each is vastly different if you're doing a one shot, um, generally there's a lot of prep involved right up front, but then generally you don't have to do like a session zero or anything like that. Sometimes it'll happen. Like as a conversation in discord where you'd be like, okay, well, these are your characters. This is or either these are your characters or these are, you know, pick a character, whatever level. Um, and then you guys show up, you do like whatever this one adventure is and then that's the end of it and then those characters are in ether till needed again but like with a campaign generally you'll have a group of people that will it's the same characters over an extended period of time so you'll have one long running story rather than just one adventure that'll be hundreds of adventures inside of this whole entire campaign
1: yeah exactly one shot is just like it sounds you're doing it all in one shot you're um start to finish playing one session essentially and the idea is to get it from character intros all the way down to the resolution of defeating whatever that adventures uh main villain or problem maker is and then a campaign is multiple yeah. sessions. Um, You could do a short campaign that's like at a set kind of thinking like dimension 20 style where it's like you're planning on it kind of being like, all right, we're going to go through probably like 10 sessions. It's still like a campaign, right. but maybe um, a little less conventional. And then it can go all the way to like the multi-year. We've been playing the same characters forever. I live in the skin of this character. I I know how they think. <laughs> and it can get really intense. But I always think that one shots are a great way for a new DM to practice and just to learn because like Taylor said, it is a lot of prep up front and the challenging part of a one shot is trying to get it all done in that one session. That's something that I've had, I've had trouble with in the past, (laughs) you know, like you go too deep into role play in the beginning of the session and then Maybe you don't account for how long combat actually does take, and therefore now now you're at, now you're at a six, one. seven hour one shot, or it becomes a two shot. Now you're doing two two games.-hmm
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, that generally is what happens with playing one shots is they become two or three shots.
1: Yeah, it's very prevalent. And like for me, I've gotten to a point now when with one shots, I love ending a one shot with a cliffhanger. Just in case mm-hmm. we want to go back to this world, these characters, this setting, whatever it is, it just opens the door. Not that you necessarily have to, because it could just be like, oh, a month has passed. You guys are up a level and this new evil arose and it didn't happen at the end of last session. So it doesn't matter at all. But I like leaving things on like cliffhangers. Right. I enjoy that uh, tension.
0: Yeah, and it makes everybody want to come back, really, honestly. That's how that's how the the T V companies get you, man. They get in your mind. Get right in there. The cliffhangers. The cliffhangers. Man. And then man. they always end, they always end and say, wait until next week. What is that, man? He continued.
1: It's a dirty dirty trick mm. and I love you to zing it. I love using it so much. <laughs> to zing it? I love you zing it. <laughs> zing it. Um so if if we're talking... Okay, so we got one-shots. We got campaigns. Kind of an One easy shots, way to break uh, it into two. Mm-hmm. Another thing that you're going to have to think about is like what story you're telling. Mm-hmm. Where, is the, where is the story taking place? What story are you telling? Who are the bad guys? And the easiest way to break that down is are you going to be using a pre-written module? Something that Wizards of the Coast or a third party has already come up with? Or are you going to homebrew it, a.k.a... Make it up yourself.
0: You ready for the tip and the trick? Bring it on, come on. Do both.
1: Little column A, little Do column both.
0: B. Little column A, little column B. That's that's what I've found the most success as a DM is you have a story that you want to tell, but then also like you supplement it with these adventures, and you just kind of change the characters in the adventure a little bit. Or, you know... This isn't how you can kind of put it in whatever setting you want. You can change just tweak little things, but then you've got basically a whole adventure ready to go zero prep. Like, all the uh, 90% of the preparation for this uh, for the session is done.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a good way to go, especially in the beginning. If you're not going fully pre written, then I would highly suggest doing the combo technique because that's what I did for my first written adventure. Um, I didn't want to go out and buy somebody else's pre-written thing when i i like writing on my own so why not do that but then with the help of the internet and the swaths of information out there on some of these pre-written settings such as the forgotten realms and like beyrune and all that i just took that setting and then i just twisted it to fit the narrative i wanted to tell But it was so much easier in terms of world building I don't have to like create cities and like what their infrastructure is what are their imports and exports and all of that kind of what do they call their government and what are you know what I mean like I don't have to come up with all of this stuff I can just add things when I feel like I want to add things like oh this town they don't have like a I don't know I don't like the name of the inn that they have okay I'll change that and I'll change what the innkeeper's name is but like For the most part, it's all done. Because your
0: players are going to ask. They're going to ask about this stuff. Like, when you're at the table and something comes up, oh, well, the ruler of this town, okay, well, is he, like, a king? Is he a mayor? Is it whatever? Like, I've had those questions thrown at me. And, like, having to not have to write all of that, having, like, that base of... Like you have this information is out there already. Like you don't have to come up with it on the spot. You don't have to worry about whether you're keeping it consistent or whatever. It's just, it's there. You don't have to, you can just read it from a book. And as long as you come, as long as you get it from the same source, every time you'll stay consistent.
1: Yeah. Very true. I, I, definitely think that it gets easier with time. You start to pick up on things and different habits that may work for you differently than other DMS and you figure out what works mm-hmm. and it really just comes down to knowing your table that obviously has a huge benefit in terms of how much prep you need, what it answers uh, you feel like you need to figure out. Mm. But I think that I don't, I don't think I've ever in my life, run a fully pre written campaign or module. Have you?
0: I have done fully pre written modules. I've done your fully pre written module ah. for like the first couple of levels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I ran everybody through like the first four or five modules of Sword Coast. Nice. Dope. That's really cool to hear.
1: Yeah. Feel free to support me over on uh, fucking dmskill.com. <laughs> uh, all proceeds go to Fresca. Um that's <laughs> not true for legal reasons that's not true
0: Not to the <laughs> no, well no not the company the the beverage
1: it, yeah exactly I it mean, goes they to are, me uh, buying more Fresca for myself Right
0: Yeah yeah that's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. to clear up any to clear up any legal problems he's the <laughs> the proceeds are going to buy more Fresca yeah, That's probably more true than I'd like to admit Um
1: <laughs> But yeah I've never run one I do very much want to run um. Oh shoot! What is it called? The Tomb of Annihilation, the one that our friend tried to run. I don't know if you were in that game as a player. I think you might have. Uh, we did it very briefly. I think
0: there. Yeah, there was. I I think there was a couple of times. I think for some reason, whenever Lance DMs, I get super drunk really fast. Oh, it wasn't Lance? Was DMing. it? Was. No, it wasn't Lance. Okay, but like I, I vividly remember. There's been a couple of instances where I will sign up for to like join, and then I'll get just annihilated (laughs) and be out before like the first fight's over with. Feels so bad.
1: Yeah, I've I've been there, but no, in the past. Um, we've I think we've both fallen asleep on Mike before in games. Um. Yeah, whatever it happens, man. So it's
0: it's late game. Man, yeah, us it's East coasters, it's, man. They're it's late hard games. For us. <laughs> yeah, man. It's
1: hard for us on the East Coast. Um. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I just Tomb of Annihilation seems really fun. I like the the railroaded sandbox of it all. And I love how much detail there is. I love the jungle setting. And like they add a lot of little rules to make it very um, survival based. Uh, not like survival like the skill, uh, like the skill check, but survival like there are all kinds of diseases. There's like you have to have water and fresh food. How are you getting it? Um, There are areas where there's like rivers like do you have a boat? How are you getting across the river? Like all these just like very survivally things that you also have to contend with in addition to being uh, a magical island <laughs> that's full of monsters and right. stuff. There's also just, like, so many cool other little uh, things. Not to mention there's a tomb at the end called, like, the Tomb of the Nine Trickster Gods. And it is fascinating. It is very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's one that I would like to run. I've heard good things about Strahd also.
0: Yeah. I had fun with Strahd.
1: So did I. I had fun with Strahd, too. Yeah. We
0: never finished the campaign, but... no. I mean, it was fun.
1: It was fun while it lasted. However, as a DM, I personally would rather write my own stories. Yeah. Just to be able to try new things that um, Wizards of the Coast just isn't comfortable trying with 5e. (laughs) I like breaking that game to its absolute limits. Sometimes, every time I tell people about certain campaigns, I'm either in the process of writing or even just outlining for 5th edition. Their first response is always like, "Really, 5e? Mm-hmm. You don't think you want to run maybe the Shadowrun campaign or Call of Cthulhu or these other games can do what you're trying to do?" <laughs> and I'm like, "No, I know. Nope. I'm good. I feel like it can." <laughs>
0: but D and D can do it too. <laughs> I feel
1: like it can. I feel like we could do just fine. Yeah. And the players that I'm playing with have such a good understanding of 5e that we can do it together. Right. You know. Like It's not like I'm bringing in somebody who's brand new to 5e and I'm like, okay, cool, so you've looked up all the rules. Now, you you didn't see anything about cell phones or internet, so here's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. It's like, nah, the, all the players kind of get it. They understand how it's going to work and stuff and what the expectations are and how it fits in our uh, our tone and what we're trying to accomplish as a storytelling unit, and it works out great. Mm-hmm. So far, so good. I haven't had any complaints. Yeah,
0: and I mean, that's... Pretty much it, I think. You know, the the tone is definitely something, if you're for whatever, wow. The tone is definitely something you got to think about, but it kind of is dictated by what story you're trying to tell. So, I mean, once you get the story going and figure out where you're going with it, I mean, next you got to get the players involved, right?
1: Yeah. Now we got to get the players involved. And I think this is a crucial step, so we break into character creation, which I believe uh, Taylor and I agree. while a big part of it is put on the player, uh I'd venture to say that we both agree that the DM should have a pretty heavy hand in this in some regards.
0: definitely yeah, I think in some regards. Yes, definitely. Yeah,
1: don't be yeah, a dick. I would like, say, you I, shouldn't if play nothing,
0: that kind of paladin. <laughs> I, no, yeah, no. The, if nothing else, you got to at least read the character sheet of everybody at the table. If nothing yeah. else, you have to at least look at it because sometimes somebody doesn't understand the rules well or they're trying to be sneaky or something like that and you got to be able to see what's up. Like, you got to be able to make sure that, you know, they're not going to have a completely broken character and make it not fun for everybody.
1: Very true. Yeah, definitely. It's also helpful to know what your uh, what the characters are good at, what they're not good at Mm -hmm. that way. Sometimes just like, like sometimes the DM is like, man, all of the characters can fly. How do I not like dick them over, like take away their ability to fly, but how can I give them a challenge? Where it's not going to be as easy as just like, oh, I just fly over the river. Like, fucking, duh. But like, give them something challenging so that they can have a, you know, some fun with it. In the same way, you can also like alley-oop some of your players where you're like, oh, I happen to know that, you know, Rebecca is really freaking good at survival. And we haven't had many chances to spotlight that. Now I know. Throw her some foot tracks. Footprints. Yeah. (laughs) Um. But, yeah, I think some of the things that are going to change this experience for you, how experienced are your players? Because that obviously is going to dictate how involved you are in the number process of character creation and like making sure that all the mechanics are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, giving them any advice when it comes to where to put your ability scores and like which ability scores are important and which ability scores are important not just for the class that they're playing, but the type of character they want to play. And this is where you can give recommendations, but also understand that like they should have some agency in creating their own character, but you also Mm -hmm. want them to have a good time. So like genuinely, if they're playing a monk and they're putting zero points in decks, then maybe you want to be like, Hey, listen, I love, you know, going against the grain. However, Just so you know, like just so that I know that I said it and I said my piece. I don't think your monk is going to be as good at the things that monks are normally good at if you do it this way. Now, if you do it this way, you'll be good at the things monks are supposed to be good at and you can still have fun and whatever, right? Because I usually will only let a very experienced player dump stat a very important stat. <laughs> and it and it's so case by case basis, right? Because it's fine if it like oh it only you know uh, screws over that one character, but often in a D and D game it's like a team thing. So like you could be screwing right. over your whole team, and that's not fun. So you want to be careful.
0: Uh yeah, and um another thing that's kind of going to affect the character creation level of things is like what kind of themes and kind of like story arcs and stuff that your players are comfortable with not comfortable with um and this is this is generally take like this conversation happens in session zero like okay we're making your character what do you want to do You know, and at this point, they'll be kind of giving you hints as far as like what they would want to see story-wise or what they definitely don't want to see story-wise. And so that's going to affect how the gameplay is evolved and then also how the character themselves are going to get created. Yeah.
1: Big time. Yeah, because you want to know what the player who has invented this character, like what are you hoping to see for this character? Are you hoping to see them uh, rise above the power and become, I don't know, a folk hero or whatever? Are you hoping that they're going to marry the love of their life and settle down and have a white picket fence life? What is the deal? Uh, also, like, how long are we playing this game? AKA, like, yeah. how much time are we going to have to explore some of this stuff?
0: Cause, AKA in how silly can I get?
1: <laughs> it, exactly. <laughs> or like, how how much can I withhold in the beginning, in the mm. hopes of a payoff later on? You right. Know what I mean, like, yeah, if you're doing a long campaign, good, and you yeah. know that it's going to be like a year or more. Then, yeah, uh, maybe I'll play my cards close to my chest. I'll tell the DM things, but I'm not going to tell the players what my character's real name is, even. Right. Or, or the fact that I'm a that's changeling. So or the fact that I'm a changeling and all this different stuff. And then eventually it gets revealed that I'm a changeling. Who's been going under a false name and all this cool stuff. And here's why, or I'm playing a one shot. So the, the vibe is that our characters are already in an adventuring party. We've known each other for five years. You already know Mm -hmm. 90% of my secrets. Yeah. And this is just a job that we're, and fulfilling, and it's not like some greater story arc for me and my character alone, or something along for this one, nature.
0: For one one shot, I made a um. I want to say it was like a illusion magician or a fucking wizard, an illusion wizard, and um, I flavored him so that all of his magic was pasta, like he was just a costume magician. So like, chill touch. Chill touch was like spaghetti wraps around their leg, or so like cold wet spaghetti. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> wow, I hate that.
0: <laughs> uh, Magic missile was raviolis that would, a ravioli that would like fly up off of my back and like shoot at them. Yeah, it's. I get real. I get real silly with one shots. One shot characters are so much wow. fun that is that is silly i <laughs> i
1: it's so interesting there are parts of one-shot characters where i will get silly and then there are other parts where i use one-shots as a way to explore things things that i'm like not builds? ready to commit to Ye- builds and like backstory ideas too okay like not just mechanical trying things out but also like RP trying things out like I'm I did the one shot where I'm playing a warforged druid paladin and it was like let me vibe out like how I would RP as a warforged like do I how far do I want to lean into being a fucking robot <laughs> right <laughs> you know what I mean and the the answer is I don't want to lean too far into it because then it's not fun and I'm not <laughs> like emotional enough and me Justin I like playing charisma based characters and like being like funny and joking and talking you know yeah so it was like okay that's i'm gonna have to play this guy a little differently if i want to still have fun with the warforge which i'm a paladin so my charisma's decent anyway and i rolled so fucking good for stats <laughs> i rolled so good for stats i Feels got uh, good man. before the ability increases like the Racial ones, I had an mm-hmm. eighteen, a seventeen, and a seventeen. Oh wow, dude, it was a joke or something close to that. Maybe it was three seventeens. I was like That's still insane I was like, this is insane, yeah. especially for druid paladin subclass. Like, yeah, it, you need you, the, need, you that. need
0: three high stats. Yeah,
1: you do. Yeah, I yeah, strength, whiz and uh, charisma. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun. But yeah, one-shots, campaigns. You're going to get to have these deep conversations with the DM and with your party because some parties are going to put so much time into party composition. Everyone wants to feel different and unique, and that I understand. I think team composition is one of those things that for a group of newer players, very important. For a group of very experienced players, slightly less important.
0: Yeah, because with the experienced players... They like if I'm in a group and I know that we don't have a healer, I'm probably going to do some either, either I'm going to take one level in cleric or something, or I'm going to do some form of way, like some way to fill in that gap. If I know we don't have a tank, I'm going to figure out a way to get higher AC so I can run in there and do that, fill that role. Like with experienced players, you kind of, everybody picks what they want to play, and then you can kind of trust everybody to fill in the gaps because everybody knows yeah. where the gaps are.
1: Yep, exactly. And even, like, during gameplay, some of those gaps that maybe weren't obvious will eventually show themselves mm-hmm. as the dirty little... <laughs> the dirty little... Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, boy. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> Another way you could supplement is just through, like, magic items and stuff. Like, you don't have a healer? Yeah. D- dude, stock up money so that you can buy healing potions. Bingo, bingo. Um, but, yeah. So, now when you're creating your character, there's a couple things that I think as a DM and as a player I like to focus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to focus first on immersion and making... If I'm the player, I want to make my character part of this story so that it feels like my character truly lives in this setting. And as the dungeon master, that's very important because it's going to help you later on when it comes to plot hooks and other storytelling devices to pull your characters in and help them find those railroads that you so beautifully laid out. (laughs) Do you want to talk a little bit about like what immersion is and how it looks in a tabletop.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of takes, yeah, I mean, it kind of takes different forms. Um, it, but it's really, honestly, the biggest immersion thing is it's all the little things like, you know, having NPCs for the players to talk to having, you know, a good, vocabulary so that you can explain a cool picture, like in like tell a story that puts a picture in people's heads. Um, it's really getting everybody to suspend reality in their minds for a short period of time and actually be in the world. And there's a million things you can do. Like I was saying, um, you know, I generally will find a joke or something as well, um, to, and I'll like keep hammering it in. Like I, I have a, in every town, there's a guy named Tony and he talks with a weird New York accent and that's <laughs> just the, he's yeah. Where's Tony. Okay, cool. Go find Tony. He's going to be the guy to go, uh, rob this place or something who knows, but like another big thing is like the having your characters' actions have consequences in the world is another big immersion thing. Um, you know, if they're really successful, they start to become kind of famous. It's really cool to play out that f- famousness in in character. You know, um, yeah. If they're a bunch of assholes. Maybe the guards are looking for him all the time, you know. Like, and it doesn't have to be like, oh, well, we're in combat twenty four seven. But like, put wanted posters on the walls, put extra patrols out in the streets. Doesn't really have to cause anything, like do anything mechanically. But having that there helps everybody get the whole picture in their head.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think immersion is feeling like this is a real world and not just a, like a static fake storybook land that only changes when I respond to it. And then like the second we're done adventuring in this city, it goes into this like frozen in time stasis until we come back. Like that's not real. This this is supposed to, uh, we're all playing make believe, right? It's a silly game. (laughs) where We're all playing make believe. I get it. But also, let's make it have some realistic consequences and, like, some real-world physics. So, yeah. yeah. You guys,
0: what <laughs> I was going to say physics. You man. guys, if you guys kill yeah, played- the Water
1: Baron and then dip, like, there might be wanted posters for you. There might be bounty hunters sent for you. They're going to have to figure out who's the next Water Baron. There's going to be maybe elections held or an investigation into who murdered them. These are all things that are going to happen without the players even being there. Right. So like the next time they visit that town, things will have changed. So that's like a DM side of immersion, but even like to bring it back to character creation immersion for me is like making sure that the players have both an understanding of some of the lore, like, but also trying to connect them to the setting and the story. So like, trying to be like, okay, this story is going to take place in the sword coast. Here are six villages that will be of varying importances. And, uh, do you want to have grown up in any of these towns? And they say, yeah, maybe I grew up in tribor and I go, okay, cool. Here's everything you need to know about tribor. Here's what their customs are, what their flag looks like, who runs the town, who Mm -hmm. protects the town. Uh, What are their imports and exports? What are they known for? Who are the big gods and goddesses of that town? What towns is it next to? Blah, blah, blah. Now, when I introduce Tribor in the actual story, when the players get there, I have all of this stuff to bounce off of because that one player character is from that town. So now I get to introduce their family. I get to introduce their childhood, siblings, uh, townspeople that they just know. They get to be the person that guides them and says, Oh, there's actually a tavern over here that we can stay at and oh, did you guys try my favorite breakfast place? And da and then it's this beautiful thing where they're the player, I mean, is like part of it. And then when if God forbid Tribor ever falls under attack, boom, I guess who's gonna give a shit about Tribor? Right. <laughs> the is <characters laughs> right, from exactly. there, baby. Boom. That's how you do plot hooks, that's how you do railroading. <laughs> Easy peasy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you set it um, up early. You set it up in the character stage.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, always trying to have some connection to different things. Um, this was my first time in a long-term campaign having a player join when we were already at, like, level 10, I want to say. Uh-huh. Right? You guys were at level 10 when Dyrta, the character, entered. We
0: were, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then she, she was were in for... pandemonium yeah okay so like Mm.
1: even that like uh, okay uh i'll say that her character because like you've already been to all the big towns so like okay her character is from neverwinter here's everything you need to know about neverwinter telling her things that your characters have already figured out that way there's some connection there of of like you've already heard of the corvus cancer um tragedy that happened you right Already have a connection to Samuel Sabbath, the villain that you guys were chasing at the time, because that puts you guys on the same like mission oriented goal. And then, therefore, connecting her to Cancer and trying to make sure that she has similar alignment in terms of goals as you guys. And yeah, it was just like working them into the story, making sure, like, why would their character give a shit about the stuff going on and just giving their characters a reason to give a shit, whether that's something as like concrete as like your dad lives there. That's why you give a shit. If the town falls (laughs) or it could be something a little more like uh loosey goosey, like your character has a a brother who passed away in a war that you didn't want him to fight. And now you have to fight this other war. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to lose anybody who you're like, viewing these friends as like siblings quote unquote maybe that's the reason and like just figuring out different ways that their characters would give a shit
0: mhm that's surprisingly difficult if not done early to work into the story later like the getting people to give a shit because if you don't give a shit at the very beginning Nobody's going to give a shit on session three. Nobody's going to give a shit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You definitely have to work in some slow burn type of motivation mm-hmm. uh, because I've fallen into the trap of having a, like building an entire backstory side quest where the whole party was going to help this one character do the thing that they've been meaning to do since they started. And then we do it, and now that player is talking to me about how I should just kill off their character because there's no reason for their character to be in the group anymore. And it's like, wow, your character is selfish as shit, but okay. Right. I'll figure out a way to do that, I guess, um, without necessarily murdering your character. Uh, but okay. We did, though. So, yeah. We did, We though. did, but it was it was different. It wasn't to allow yeah. them to play a new character but anyway yeah um so yeah the benefit of having a character who is fully immersed in the world the setting the plot is it's going to allow you to implement something known as plot hooks so just like it sounds it's a hook you're hooking the character into the plot so it's that moment when uh frodo and the hobbits go into the little I forget the name of the thing the dancing pony or something like that (laughs) the little inn or tavern yeah is it
0: the dancing pony or is it the prancing pony
1: it very well could be the prancing pony Um, I have no idea yeah a thousand uh, barefoot nerds are just yelling (laughs) into the nightmare furious
0: absolutely
1: uh (laughs) and uh (laughs) Aragorn being this like shady dude with a pipe and a hood in the corner. That's a plot hook. And maybe the hobbits never take it. Maybe they do. You know, like there's different plot hooks are these things where you're just giving them a taste. You're fishing with a little bit of bait and you're trying to see if they'll bite. And obviously sometimes you want them to bite because it's fun. And other times you need them to bite because that's how you push your story forward. We'll do a whole episode on plot hooks and stuff like that mm-hmm.
0: quick and easy ones though um like a bounty board or something along those lines in the town um just having a random person who is like a guy who contracts people out I mean you can yeah, like really and honestly actor. work, yeah, like you that the 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 plot hook side of things is basically just like the intro to the adventure. Hey, do you guys... Does this sound cool? Does this sound exactly. cool? Does this sound cool? Like, <laughs> that's why I really... I, I'm i a soccer for bounty boards. Like, that's one of my biggest, uh, like, side quest dump spots.
1: Bounty boards are huge. So is, especially for one-shots. If you want the easiest plot hook, if it's a one-shot, you say, Hey, you guys are all part of this group, this organization. We'll call them... Uh, Flower Power. You guys are part of Flower Power. And then they're all in a tavern. Getting sued. And you getting And you have a person come in <laughs> who goes, I am the sergeant of Flower Power. Here's your next mission. And then there's the fucking plot hook. Bang, bang. They, they bite it. They have to. Yep. They're part of the group. But there are also some other things. Character creation kind of dancing back to this idea of teamwork and how this is a team and like a group playing game. There's group dynamics. So this is gonna play a lot into how your DMing style may shift, maybe what things you need to focus on and kind of pay more attention to. Obviously, I can only speak from my personal experience when it comes to some DM stuff, like when it comes to like experience. And like I've been very, very blessed to have very few, I think relatively, very few issues when it comes to group dynamics. Um there's one glaring one, but that's very <laughs> that was, specific. We're
0: not going to talk about that one.
1: No, 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 no. Um, yeah, no we're
0: not maybe gonna, like 100
1: do episodes down the line, uh, we, yeah. we can talk about more in-depth red flags and different uh, problem characters or yeah. players and things to mention. However, right now, um, how well does your party know each other? How much trust is there inherently before session zero? Because that's going to dictate how stringent you want to be on session zero, right? Like if you're playing with a group, the same group for 12 years, this is your third campaign. Maybe still do a session zero. It doesn't, it never hurts to do a session. There's never a bad time to do a session zero. There's just, there are some times where it's vital, (laughs) but you can always do a session zero. Maybe if the group doesn't know each other very well, that's when you want to pay more attention to the session zero. Um, For sure. And then, like, kind of taking it a step back, not even just, like, the group dynamics of the players, but the group dynamics of the characters is another thing you're going to talk about during character um, creation with the whole group. And this is, again, something that can be covered in Session Zero. Like, Mm -hmm. how does the party know each other? How, How do they all know each other? Maybe two of them are siblings. Maybe two of them are friends. Um, And the other three are also friends, but those two groups are meeting at the tavern for the first time. Right. You know, how much do they know about each other? All kinds of stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's pretty much, this is finally getting down to, okay, where is the story starting? What specific location are we starting at? And then you go from there.
1: And then you go from there, and then it's just encounter after encounter after encounter uh just bouncing off each other and then you'll have yep. certain things planned along the way and we'll talk about prepping for a specific session uh probably pretty soon um in terms of bra- breaking down like the nitty-gritty of like let's actually run a session maybe we'll do an episode where we do like a, and obviously it'll be more like one-on-one
0: <laughs> right
1: but we could probably maybe do that in, as like an example I don't know. We'll talk about it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's an idea. Patreon. Um, Ding. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Again, justingagliani.squarespace.com campaign contributions president 2024. Don't support
0: um, the campaign. I so, wouldn't. Like, I listen, <laughs> I my, wish my, that my... the money wasn't going <laughs> to that. Like I wish like my taxes I, like I wish I could pick which things my taxes paid for. Right. I, I hear you <laughs> and
1: um, I'm Still in conversations with my VP, uh, my my Vice P, uh, Big Cath. Your Kath. Vice P. right? Yeah, my Vice P, Big Cath. Um, but here's the thing. <laughs> so we're behind the screen. We're a DM. We're running the story. Uh. I, I kind of have a lot of things figured out. I've done my session zero, maybe even. Now, how much material do I have to know before starting the campaign? And how much do I tell my players before the game starts?
0: I mean, interesting,
1: <sighs> interesting. It's
0: really? A, little, it's, a lot of
1: these are going to be case by case.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it really does. It really, really does depend. Um, as far as like the material that you have to know, you got to know the rules and um, you really got to have at least an outline of where the story is supposed to go. Otherwise everybody's just going to stand around and nobody's going to know what to do. Yeah. You have to have yeah. at least the story bit figured out. It doesn't have to be like necessarily all be written down, but you have to at least have it figured out to where you know where this is going to lead.
1: Yeah. I think you need to have an outline for the potential of that session. I think is a good right. idea. That's what I always like having. That makes me feel safe and like ready to go because at a lull, I can always bring up the next bullet point and find a way to push the story forward. I have ideas on there for what could happen next or who they're going to meet. Like For example, in our session most recently, you guys were back at Yarder examining a wall that had been damaged by an unknown monster. Mm-hmm. So then... You and Dirta went to go talk to the people who are currently reconstructing that wall, and I had you meet three different NPCs. There's uh, the main foreman, Manishevitz.
0: <laughs> Manishevitz, yep. There was L- on. Lily.
1: Lily. And Spuck.
0: And Spuck.
1: <laughs> and I had all their names written down. Like I knew exactly what was up, I knew what they nice. were going to say, what they were going to look like. Um, and when I say what they were going to say, I mean, like, I had, like, two bullet points down for each character of, like, this is how much this they know. This is the information they have, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just, like, very basic stuff so that I was already ready. I didn't have to come up with names on the spot, although it's your own play style too. So if you're cool with that or if you want to have, like, Coming up with name names on the spot up. is fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. Fantasy I name generator. Got a lot it can of... be
1: very helpful, but it is... um it's a lot of fun. I like coming up with names in advance so that they're a little more clever. Like I never would have come up mm-hmm. with Manashevitz right on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> but give me a couple minutes. I got Manashevitz in the tank ready to come out. <laughs> um, so, hey, yeah, I mean, like how that. much it's you're going to learn as you play how much material is is necessary for you to be successful because that's really what it is. You should have as much as you need to be successful. (laughs) And for different players, it's different things. Sometimes I have a shit ton of information. Um, Sometimes I have millions of tabs open because I need to know every potential shop and store and shopkeeper (laughs) in that city. Sometimes I need a map open. I need a list of magic items because I know they're doing a shopping episode. I need to look through my notes and find out how much I said that this magic item was going to be cost or whatever you know like so it really depends but then the next question being how much lore do you give your players before the game starts this is tied very much into character creation in my mind and it very much has to do with yeah it has to do with it this is a good way to immerse your player characters Mm. first of all secondly it really depends on the character it depends on what their backstory is. Like we have a character who I have introduced this, like uh league of libraries called the Erudite Alliance. So there's like this and every like major capital, there's like this gigantic library and they they hire Rangers and all kinds of shit to go out and get information and bring it back. Blah, blah, blah. She's a part of that. Therefore she's fucking smart and she knows a lot of history and Arcana and that kind of shit. So it's like, When she asks me, how much do I know about this monster that we're fighting? It depends on how rare I think that monster is. Uh, But that's not something I would give her beforehand because I'm not going to sit here and go through the monster manual and be like, all right, uh, Bargura, you know them. Uh, This Kazme, you don't know what that is. Like, I'm not going to do that. So it's kind of case by case, leave it up to the dice. But for some things like Tribor, her character's from Tribor, I'm going to tell her that It's run by the Lord Protector, Dorothra Shandril. She has a militia of 12 women, each of which are specialized with a different weapon. Here's the Hunters Festival that happens once a year. They're known for hides and hunting and rangers and guides and all kinds of forestry and whatever. They worship these gods and yada, yada, yada. So that's all information that she knew beforehand. She's been living in Waterdeep for a couple years so she knows most of it but maybe not the ins and outs or like the criminal underbelly but she knows a lot Mm -hmm. of it she knows the main player she knows that the quote unquote governor is called the open lord and what his name is but like maybe she doesn't know all of the black robes who are in the judicial branch so just like getting a feel for how much knowledge their characters would have about different parts of your
0: setting this is your chance to lore dump a little bit and it's very dependent on your players too. Some players don't want a bunch of lore. Some players just want to, you know, show up and have a good time. And there's not really anything wrong with that necessarily, other than it's harder to get them hooked in on the the, the plot because they don't have a whole bunch yeah. of lore. But, you know, I I definitely have players that don't necessarily want a bunch of lore before the game yeah. starts you know they just kind of want to like they'll show up they'll make their character and then you know once the character's created that's you know okay cool we're set and then they just show up with their character sheet and then they <laughs> leave with their character sheet yeah
1: yeah it definitely depends on the players that you have some are uh hungry for that lore some are looking for a little bit more of a expedient Experience. (laughs) Getting it out quick and dirty. Mm
0: -hmm. So now the planning's done. Bring it out. All the planning's done. Now how do we start the first First session? session. What do we do? We're here. We're all just sitting at the table. Dice are at dice are there. Character Mm -hmm. sheets ready Mm -hmm. to go. Now what?
1: Well, I think that I'll i I'll preface by saying. Everyone can do it differently. There are many different ways to alter this to fit your play style, your narration style, your DM style, whatever. Here's how I do it. I will always kickstart the first session with a small little monologue describing the setting and what's currently happening. Big picture stuff. Maybe I'll describe the entire setting of the Sword Coast, how Waterdeep is like the most influential city of that area, how there is is a dark evil that seems to have raised its head and it is still mysterious and unknown to most of the world. But right now we find ourselves in the city of Nesme, which is known for X, Y, and Z, and the most boisterous of all the buildings is the uh, Crazy Unicorn Tavern that's where you guys find yourselves. And then I'll go into setting the scene for the tavern and then describing in doing that, I will then pick it up. I'll like uh, pitch it over to each player character to describe their own individual character. So I'll say, Oh, Taylor, would you like to describe your character for us? And then Taylor will say, Uh, absolutely, Justin. And he'll say, <laughs> uh, he'll say, I'm, my character uh, is a human who's six foot tall and looks like this or whatever. And then I'll do it to the next person mm-hmm. and the next person and the next person.
0: Sounds just like me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, uh, and then it, once all the characters are introduced, then I will usually immediately give them something to do so that they don't have to sit there in like an RP situation right from the get-go. I'll give them some sort of task that they can RP off of. Uh, for example, I'll bring over a traveling salesman or like somebody who wants to play cards and do a little gambling. Uh, maybe I'll immediately introduce the plot hook of the character who comes over and says, uh, Quick, are you guys adventurers? I need your help. Right. But that's kind of in a nutshell the way I do most of my first sessions right off the bat. I have been experimenting a lot with what Brendan Lee Mulligan does and doing short vignettes for each character intro. Yeah, I do like that. I like it a lot now that I've started doing it. And it's definitely, Mm -hmm. I think, going to become how I do it, I think, will be different each time. But I think I am going to keep doing vignettes for each character intro as a little very like cinematically done where it's like, if this was a movie, it would make a lot more sense. (laughs) Like, yeah.
0: Act one, act one stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Big time. Cause like I did it recently the same way that he did. Did you see the season? Um, Oh gosh, what is it called? The one where they're in space, like sci-fi one, uh, starstruck,
0: uh, starstruck. Yeah. You saw that one? Oh yeah. I love, I love that campaign. It's such a it's good one. It's so fun,
1: but okay. So you know how in the very beginning they start off with combat and during the combat, mm-hmm. when it got to each person's turn in the initiative, he would do the vignette. I re yeah. I recently did that for my small world campaign. It's mm-hmm. so dope. It's so freaking dope cool. too. like, just immediately start a game with combat is so fun. Cause it, it really throws players for a loop and it's just a fun way to have them immediately introduce how cool their character is based on like combat specifically. And then as soon as it gets to be some person's turn I would let them tell me what they were going to do. So they were like, oh I'm a warlock so I shoot Eldritch Blast. Blah blah blah. And then I go, okay cool, as your Eldritch Blast fires out, the camera zooms in on the fire of your Eldritch Blast and as it zooms in and zooms out again, we see a torchlight being lit on top of the fence post and a blood red moon in the, and then I do this whole like backstory intro thing uh, that is really only good for the players. Obviously the characters may not know Mm -hmm. this backstory stuff, but it's just a fucking cool way to kind of talk about how we got here and like a little flashback almost. Um, I I had so much fun with that. I thought that was such a cool way to introduce all the characters mid combat, especially.
0: That is that's a lot of fun. That's definitely a, a high high level DM move there.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of storytelling um, right off the
0: fucking jump. <laughs> right off right off the bat. <laughs> um I've done one um where one of the like the the group had basically already been together, but basically they were transporting a prisoner who was also one of the PCs. And they were like transporting him to another town, and then they were attacked on the road, mm-hmm. and that's how they kind of f- banded together for good. Like that was the first, the start of the adventure was that situation. In prison break. Um, kind. Well, not really. They the the PC was a um twenty cha uh bard, so you just kind of talk to everybody. <laughs> And basically, got them to let him free. There is like, look, man, we're being getting ready to be attacked by like four bears. Can you just get me out of my stuff? Like, get me out of these shackles? And I'm like, all right. And then he wound up kicking ass and fight. And they're like, all right, well, I guess we're good now. (laughs) (laughs) And then they just started all traveling together.
1: There you go. I love, uh, you, um, like a slightly more unique way. Like, don't get me wrong. It's always fun to fall back on the, everyone's in a tavern, Mm -hmm. but I love trying to think outside the box for cool ways for characters to me. A
0: hundred percent prison
1: breaks a good one. Anyway, anyway, you you flavor it, whether it's talking your way out or whatever, but meeting Mm -hmm. the other characters in shared cells is dope. Yeah. That's a really cool way to do it. Uh, middle of combat is a really fun way. Cause it throws everybody for a loop and they all have to start working together instantly. The benefit of that right. is when the combat is over your character, your like party instantly have at least that thing in common.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Right. Like even if they didn't know each other's names, yeah, that's before, the big
0: thing. You got to get that shared experience real quick, real quick. Um, Cause you
1: definitely, yeah, you want to find those shared motivations very, very quickly, get them all on mm-hmm. the same page. Why would this group travel together? Why are they in a party? Why are they working together instead of working separately and trying to answer some of those questions just to make it easier. Hopefully you have players who kind of meet you halfway. That's all I can ask for these days in a player. Meet me halfway, Mm. man. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) If you're a player like, that's the thing I love the most about playing with uh, people who have been DMS before is they almost always do. You know what I mean? You put out a plot hook, they yeah. smell it a mile away and they're like, Hey brother, I got, yeah, I got yeah, your yeah. back, dude. I got, I got I'll it. I'll talk I got to it. the creepy yeah, yeah, yeah. guy. Let's do this. In the corner all day. I'll talk to <laughs> let's him. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, what's your name? Strider. Weird name, dude. I'll talk to you.
0: <laughs> Weird name. Yeah. But let's have a combo. I really want to hear about your life. It's probably pretty bad. If i am being honest, if like, just because he told me that you were a person and like you had information You probably got
1: a pretty shit life. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. So, yeah, there's so many different ways to start the first session. Mm -hmm. It really is like whatever feels right for you and whatever you're comfortable with. But, yeah, obviously character introductions are going to happen pretty soon. Most of the time your players will just have to get comfortable with that because it happens in almost every single game. I can't think of a single game where the DM hasn't asked me. Justin, do you want to describe your character? Like, every single game I've ever played in. It happens Mm -hmm. at that very beginning thing. You just, that's easy. You just describe what your character looks like, you know? Um, I guess it depends on how comfortable you are with roleplay in general and, like, describing stuff. But as a usually DM, it's very easy for me. So let's talk a little bit more very briefly. We're almost done. But let's talk about Mm -hmm. some of the session prep. I know I, I I think I've said that we were going to cover it in greater detail in another episode because there really could be so much to be said. Mm-hmm. But I think that for me, we should at least touch
0: on the big notes,
1: the big notes for sure. And for me, I like having a, an outline of like what could possibly happen in that session. Now, obviously there's a chance that it goes all off the rails. It goes in a direction you weren't <laughs> anticipating. depending
0: on your players. You yeah. never know. Depending on your pair players, it could go any direction really. Or it can even
1: maybe it goes in the direction you thought, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you think that a situation is going oh, to lead to combat. The, that's and it the doesn't. most fun. Sometimes you think that there'll yeah. be a combat and your players like you you think that your players are going to be game for this fight and they just decide, no, we're going to sneak our way around it. And you're like, okay,
0: no, we're just going to union. We're just going to unionize the demons. I mean, like that's, that's legitimately happened to me before. I've had my like thug kind of whatever, uh, bad guys, Uh they just straight up, like organized them. Like my party did with, again, I had a, like between the bard and the fighter, and like all of like the, the whole party basically like they just got the whole group like all these bad guys to form a union and like leave they were was like look baby you wow. don't have to you don't have to put up with this like really there's m- better opportunities out there you don't have to put up with this crap and like yeah. roll the 20 and i was like well shit okay well he uh, He's like, "You're right. You're right. I don't have to put up with this." Come on, guys. And like it's just a it's it leads to fun stuff. Yeah. I love when when capitalism um, is the bad guy. Me too. When capitalism is the bad guy, it's the <laughs> best. No, but um I do love when the players solve something in a different way than you originally anticipated because that that would have been That combat that they talked their way through would have been like a two-hour combat. It was a big one. Yeah. Because I had six players, so I have to put a lot of bad guys or really strong bad guys down for it to be any kind of challenge.
1: Yeah, with that action economy of six characters. Yeah, it's nuts, dude. That's what I have found is like the biggest differentiator between balancing is just action economy. Mm -hmm. It it feels like that sometimes, like unless a bad guy starts having legendary actions or lair actions or a way around things, then it's like, I cannot put two bad guys against four PCs. It doesn't matter how powerful the two guys are because like one of them could get counterspelled and then that's their entire turn. And now they have to take an entire round of attacks. You know what I mean? Like you really have to think about action economy just as it's such a big uh, game changer.
0: So, yeah, that's kind of leading into uh, the next little bit that you're going to need to have kind of a stockpile of is that's going to be like your NPCs, your monsters, your bad guys, like your baggo tricks, so to speak, yeah. of things that you can throw at your player um, players um i like to have at least a handful of encounters ready to go um like two or three of like a a small one a medium one and a big one like ready to go um as far as like monsters and stuff so that means getting all your stat blocks for your monsters together making sure that you have your battle map ready and all of that stuff um that's part of the prepping for like uh combat encounters um but definitely having like a list of npcs and potential bad guys that you could draw from too is handy the bad guys is kind of like you you don't necessarily need a bunch of bad guys all the time once you get your big bad settled you know you don't really have to worry about that too too much but definitely having like a shopkeeper that you can pull out of your hat or some random townsperson on the street that you can use is one of those big immersion things that you will definitely never be a bad thing,
1: yeah, yeah, you can really never over prep um which may not hundred percent be true, but for the most part, because like <laughs> for me i the way I like to prep is I have the sort of like uh the cities that they're in, so uh, okay, they're in tribor, they're going to eventually be in yarder, those are the names of two cities. For Tribor, I have a list of shops and locations that they can visit. Each of those has its own NPC associated with it or two NPCs depending. I have a list of the things that are available for purchase if it's that kind of store or services or whatever. And then I usually have a list of random names that are not associated with any particular NPC like in a way that is meaningful. It's just I can pick that name wherever and it'll be the way I do it is I have the name and then I have like the species or race that that character is and then like uh, a really quick vibe of um, like how they present just so that I can be like alright cool yeah you guys are walking the street you're trying to talk to a random person here's my list and I just go yeah you guys are talking to Riverfall the tabaxi Uh, she's a puma <laughs> And now, now you can, she's, a she's a puma and you can talk to her um or like sometimes you have npcs that like you never meant to be important and now they're very important and you just chalk them away into a special list of npcs that you will remember forever because your players will never let you forget them or like knowing like oh man like kind of like I just, there's so many NPCs that come up, but a lot of times I feel like they're connected to like specific locations, which is nice and easy. You know, it's not often Mm -hmm. that an NPC is like really out of nowhere. Normally it's like, I go into the tavern, who's running the tavern? So you just, those two things are connected, and then you just run like that, even though it like doesn't necessarily make sense that this one tavern keeper is 24 7 working the bar. It just makes it easier. If they are, you don't need to talk about the entire staff.
0: Mm. -hmm. Yep. One person, whatever. One person. And then there's, you know,
1: nice and easy. NPCs are going to be so much fun to make. It's always fun to just give them one single little quirk that makes them unique or fun or interesting or memorable. And then just kind of going from there. Like, uh, for example, I just thought of this one today. This is a good NPC idea that you'll love. Um, Mm -hmm. the NPC who's fully, uh, like a, an adult in their early 30s who just realized um, in adulthood that candy slaps and it shouldn't only be for children. <laughs> That's an NPC for free that you can have. And his name is Justin. And he just realized that candy is actually so good, but it will give you a bellyache. It will if you eat too much. If you eat too much Starburst, it will give you. It'll make your teeth feel fuzzy, and you will have a stomachache. Another NPC idea that just came to my head just now: um, the guy who is way too into dogs. um, He'll (laughs) say things like, "Uh, "That is a good-looking dog." Things like that. There's a character right there.
0: Yeah. There's the that is a good looking <laughs> dog guy,
1: but he says it. It's just too too much enthusiasm, you know. Mm-hmm. What is that? Mm-hmm. What is that? A bichon Frez? That is a good looking. Hey hey, look at me in the eyes. That's a good looking dog. Uh, yeah,
0: I'm looking. see how
1: creepy it is. There's a character right there. It's super creepy. He's got I was okay
0: notice. with. I w- yeah no. See, I was okay with it at first. Now I don't like it. Yeah, when he asked to that look weird. into my eyes
1: as he complimented my dog too yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: yeah, that's that's weird. So
1: all different kinds of guy. ideas for NPCs. Um, and then like Taylor was saying, you got your monsters, you got your villains. Um, a lot of times I will for early DMs I'll suggest like. When you're doing your monsters just like run with like a theme so like okay you guys are battling mm-hmm. demons guess what the internet will break it up by demons so you can only look at demons or only look at fiends or only look at fey or you can separate it by like the environment where it'll show you only like swamp based monsters. <laughs> And then, boom, you have a great starting off place if it feels daunting to have too many monsters to choose from, which I know it can be sometimes.
0: One of my players had a, um, yeah, yeah, one of my players had a um, uh, 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 hatred of goblins, like, written into his character background. And I was like, oh, perfect. So, like, the first, like, seven encounters were, like, all goblins. It was great.
1: Yeah nice and easy when there's like a favorite enemy that way mm-hmm. um, yeah it could be a good way to explore a character's backstory maybe make them contend with something maybe throw them one or two goblins every once in a while that are totally fucking mm-hmm. normal and not connected to their idea of what a goblin is I know I do that in my games because like I don't love this is just me this is my own personal journey as a DM I don't love playing with some of the DM established lore when it comes to like, I mean, we call them character races, right? So it's basically racism. Uh, The idea of like, all orcs are evil and bloodthirsty and blah, blah, blah. And they all hate elves. They hate elves so much and elves are hoity-toity, and they look down on this race of... You know what I mean? Like, that's all fine and good. If that's your campaign, listen...
0: But then there's that whatever, one orc right? who's, like, stew, and he's like, dude, I don't really, I don't really care, man. I've had to explain that elves to characters,
1: where it was like... Elves. Dude, yeah, I, listen, if you want your backstory to be that your family was killed by orcs, that's fine. I am going to challenge it. And I told them, this is, like, kind of a session zero-ish thing, but it was a one-on-one conversation. Where I was like, I am going to challenge Mm -hmm. that by having a baker who is an orc in, like, a random town. And they're going to be the sweetest fucking character you've ever met. Like, and if you try and bring in this, like, you're an orc, therefore you're evil. It's like, no, no, no. Those people who killed your family were evil and they just happened to be orcs. And that's how my particular lore of my story is. That's how they work. You can have an evil human, you can have an evil elf, evil halfling, evil tiefling, and you can have good versions of all those things also. But that's just how I run it. When I'm creating a story, my own campaign, like we talked about homebrew versus pre- pre-written module, I a huge kicking off point for me, and it goes right hand in hand with when I'm creating the setting itself, like what is the year, what is the tone, what is the vibe? I'm also writing the villains in that same moment. And that's my starting point.
0: What? Yeah. I don't know. So some, like I will have some bad guys that are based on like the character backgrounds for sure. But generally once we're, I've got my bad guy and story in mind, at least the, the broad strokes figured out before session zero before i even decide hey i want to do a thing i've got my big bad and all that stuff figured out and then we'll work on little guys but like definitely i don't know there's a handful of character arcs that lead that lend themselves to having a big bad of sorts and then you know sometimes it's more of a adventure exploration thing
1: yeah no doubt I think for me, because I'm such a big fan of railroading, I think having the villains planned out already is very helpful. Because when I write the villains, I do it very much like a flow chart. Like at the very top of the piece of paper, I write the B B E G. Underneath them, mm. I don't know, there's one uh there's either two or three like right hand men, right? Mm. We'll just call them one, two, three. Now underneath each of them, there's like two or three other people and then underneath them. And then maybe there's a gang in there somewhere, like an organization or whatever it may be. And then the campaign is just working your way up the ladder system. Mm -hmm. And that's how I wrote sword coast was. I came up with every single main villain, which in the game they refer to themselves as the Knights of cancer because the main villain's name is Uh cancer. Bada bing, bada boom. And it's just going from level one to level 18 is just climbing up the ladder and that's the entire campaign. It was so much easier to write it that way. But then it comes with the challenge of keeping people on track because it's like, I can't really have them like jump the line. Like they have to kill this next right of cancer, which has been challenging, but also it just changes how you give clues and how you give foreshadowing and lore along the way because you can't give a clue that's too juicy and allows them to skip <laughs> villains.
0: For sure, for sure. But, yeah, you gotta it's like um it's like writing a episodic TV show. They just kind of like the story is kind of going in a direction, but they're still like still writing it as they go along. You know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's it's definitely a huge learning experience. I recommend it to everybody. Everybody should be a DM. Everybody should run one shots and then Mm -hmm. run a short campaign and then go into a long campaign or fuck it. Do what I did and just go straight to a multi-year campaign that brings them from level one to level 20. (laughs) Fuck it. Just do Mm -hmm. it. Just jump off the deep end. You learn so much so fast. (laughs) Like literally, I feel like I have Sometimes I feel like I'm like this expert DM and like I know everything there is to know. And then I talk to people on the internet and they've been like, "Yeah, I've been playing D&D for 25 years." And I'm like, "Jesus Christ. That is nuts." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I can't even I met I surface.
0: met this group at Magfest. I met this group at Magfest. They've had the same game of D&D running for like 15 years. That's nuts.
1: Yeah. That's what I mean. I put out something uh we now have an Instagram, so you want to be a DM, all one word. Uh, we have an Instagram, so you want to be a DM. And on there, I think I posted like a silly meme or something like that, but it was about, um, it was that clip from Men in Black when Will Smith is like, so is it worth it? <laughs> and Tommy Lee Jones is like, yeah. It's worth it. If you're strong enough. And uh, it it was about. having having a group who consistently play every week and dude the comments on that are bananas there there was at least a dozen comments from people who had decade plus games it was nuts i stopped commenting i I commented on one who said like eight years and i was like i think we have a winner so far and then it got exhausting to keep commenting on people and be like never mind here's a new one and i was like never mind i'm not commenting on anymore it's so many but it was awesome. There's so many people out there who have these long-running games. It's so cool. But, yeah, I just think running the game is just going to give you the best practice in the universe. Just do it. It's so much fun. If really? you play with good people, really they'll is. be forgiving. They'll be patient. Um, do it. Do it. It's so much fun. Do it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, we can get into, like, logistics and, like, get a more in-depth about uh, plot hooks and what motivates the players and stuff should we cover any of that this episode or should we, I mean, logistics, I feel like we can leave to another episode.
0: Yeah. I mean, we definitely like logistically talking about like the discord and all the actual hardware involved. Yeah. Um, I definitely like that. Just kind of, we can lump in with like finding a party.
1: That's what I think. Um, I think we can do an entire logistical episode. With all Mm -hmm. logistics, finding your group, figuring out scheduling, maps, music, stats, taking notes, discord, microphones, websites, different tools. I think we could do that all in one episode. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it deserves its own episode. I I do too.
1: Because it's like, it's serious. You know what I mean? Like I, that's, I get questions about that all the time from new DMS. Yeah. Hey, Justin, can you help me with roll 20 or how do I make a token? You know what I mean? Right. So you're going to get those questions all the time just because being mm. comfortable with those tools is just one less thing you need to think about when you're a DM when you already have so much on your mind. You
0: right. know what I mean? like It's 100%. not the end of the there world. There are like a if, million things that make your life easier. Yeah,
1: like it's not the end of the world. Like If you're not good at Roll20 and you can't figure out how to make tokens, it's not going to ch- like guarantee that your game isn't good.
0: You can still find tokens.
1: Exactly. But being comfortable with it and having it be the way you want it's just gonna make your experience a little bit more enjoyable. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess we'll just end on a little bit more about plot hooks. Plot hooks are huge during character creation. You can start setting the setting the groundwork, figuring out what is gonna motivate this character, what motivates all of your characters, because you want to be able to present them with things that they're gonna grab onto. And that is going to keep the story going in the direction that you want it to go into as a group that you all want it to go into. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's really easy when you have a bunch of characters who are very religious. That's easy because you can have deities just step in and give them visions or dreams and tell Yo, them to propel the story.
0: do the thing.
1: Yes, my lord. <laughs> uh, or you can, <laughs> you can have characters who are like really into money. And riches and stuff like that. That's fucking easy. Just have them pay for the jobs. Yeah. And that's easy way to push them forward. One of my favorite plot hook devices is revenge.
0: See, and right. And like, you gave me crap when we were talking about character creation, about how I had like Like I came up with a real dark character man. (laughs) revenge is the easiest plot hook to use. It's so good. It's good. I mean, and like you have to have somebody have revenge on like for, and you can't just be like, Oh, I want revenge on the guy for what? I don't know. (laughs) Like (laughs) you gotta have a reason.
1: It is a lot of fun. Introduce an NPC early on in the game, have them double cross the entire party and oh, it's real good. then have that have that bad guy who's now revealed themselves as a bad guy have them go to the city that you want the players to go to <laughs> bada bing bada boom <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah like general dragon's bane was the yep. easiest plot hook yeah. in the universe because oh yeah got him uh what a dick just all he had to do is double cross all the pl- all, all the party members and now they hate him so much mm. that they will hunt him down
0: <laughs> blood boiling <laughs> rage
1: it also makes for a really satisfying combat when the time does come
0: uh huh uh huh puts a
1: little bit of pressure on you because you gotta make it worth I it I think
0: I did like 140 damage to him in like two turns two or three turns
1: <laughs> probably probably a good amount wrecked of damage wrecked shit he also did a good amount of damage, too, uh, though. I think, he did. I think he got yeah. one critical hit on I'd, you or something, and he had Smite.
0: I'm pretty sure I've been dropped by every night <laughs> at least once.
1: Yeah, the Knights of Cancer are like, intense. Oh, I'm confident. They're fun. I'm confident. They're fun, and that's something we'll get to in an advanced DMing episode is how to make a PC yeah. into a villain NPC. Because... Yes. And I'm talking mechanically. These aren't, like, PCs that used to exist and be played by other players. Although, I have done that. (laughs) But -hmm. we're talking, like, I am not finding a suitable monster stat block for an evil bard. And therefore, I just make a player character. (laughs) And figuring out how to balance that, that's taken me 11 levels of this game. (laughs) That is hard. (laughs) That is really hard to do. Uh, but it is fun. It is fun, and as a forever DM, it, gets, it lets you explore some subclasses and classes that you don't normally get to play.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely get to test out some pretty cool builds on that end.
1: So, yeah, it's just about finding what motivates yeah. those uh those PCs and those players. What's going to get them talking? What's going to yep, get them excited them to keep moving along? Um, You know what gets me excited is the icy cold refreshment of a ice cold. If you
0: say fresca, fresca in the morning. Alright, well, that's all we can get into this time. <laughs> you can find us on TikTok at So You Want to Be a DM or ask us a question at So You Want to Be a DM at gmail.com. Join us next time for more Dungeon Master tips and tricks. Bye.